0: This programme was first broadcast on Canterbury's community access radio station Plains FM 96.9 and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Kia ora and welcome, this is Garden of Sound. Today on the show, Tom Rainey. Keys, bass, arranger, educator, conductor, champion of music and militant cyclist. He's done it all and seemingly will continue to do it all for a good many years yet. But as Tom steps away from Ara after many successful years, what's next to this humble lad from little old Nelson? This is the Garden of Sound interview with Tom Rainey on 96.9 Plains FM. Tom, I want to start by asking you about uh, your earliest memories of, uh, of music around the home growing up.
1: Yeah, I grew up in a very musical family. My mum and dad were both very musical. Um, both played piano and we were involved in uh, church choir, I suppose. For many years, I sang in a church choir from 5 to 17. Went through all the parts, treble through to bass, except for tenor. Um, So, yeah, very musical environment. Some of my early memories of that are things like, um, well, I I remember recordings as as much as anything, listening to Peter on the Wolf and being terrified by it (laughs) when the French horns came in. So some of my memories are from that, and and there was a lot of classical music in our house, you know, full symphonies and things like that on a Saturday morning, so I really remember that, as well as jazz Growing up in Nelson, there probably wasn't the sort of opportunity to see live music. I didn't really get to hear a full symphony orchestra probably till my late teens, so I didn't have that experience, one that I'm very passionate about now and work quite a bit in. But I heard a lot of chamber music. There's a lot of chamber music coming through uh, Nelson and choirs, and we're very involved with the Nelson School of Music, which uh, is and still is uh, a wonderful institution. Was there much pop
0: music? Going through the years, not
1: really. You know, I mean, Why? most of my pop music came from recordings. You know, I was listening to Earth, Wind, and Fire, my brother's records, of course. You know, I remember, um, I remember Lou Reed, Rock and Roll Animal, and I remember a lot of lots of James Taylor and Beatles, and and all those sorts of things that were coming through. So yeah, like a lot of us with older siblings, um, I guess a lot of my musical experiences were kind of borrowed from them. I remember actually probably the first pop band I heard was when the Youth for Christ um, outfit used to come through schools, and I remember hearing the band live. And I remember the song they were doing, which was Don't Stop Thinking About Tomorrow, and I'd never heard it, and I was just blown away. <laughs> isn't that That's amazing, isn't it? I was quite a sheltered um, small-town boy, really. But having said that, you know, I went on to form bands uh, as a teenager at school, as we all do, and, and really enjoyed that. But, yeah, no, the experiences uh, were probably quite refined and... Um, not extensive uh, growing up in Nelson. But uh, having said that, Nelson's a wonderful musical hotbed and there was a lot going on and uh, certainly was punching and still does punch above its weight in terms of its size and population.
0: What about musical
1: instruction?
0: Was it mum and dad saying, we want you to learn the piano? Yeah,
1: no, I was pretty interested. Um, I I took to the piano before I had lessons. I, I loved the sound of it. I particularly loved the sound of the organ. Like I was in the church choir and I was obsessed with the pipe organ and I still am really and I still play. And that's one of my instruments. And luckily there were a lot of really great pipe organs and I learned organ from a reasonably early age. But before that piano, which I loved, had a, had, a, had a great teacher and a uh, cello as well. I, I um, learned cello for many years. So those were my main instruments. But uh, a really important instruction at that time at the school of music, there were some fantastic teachers who taught us harmony and, and counterpoint and things like that. So we were harmonising in the style of Bach chorales from a very early age. It was, it was quite intensive instruction and really pivotal to my musical career and the way I work. A obscure uh, method of tuition called the York Trotter method, which basically instilled from a very early age um, relative pitch. So I learned strong relative pitch relationships between notes uh, from a very early age, which has put me in good stead from uh, from then on. So yeah, no, there was some great tuition and a a very good choir and a a really good choir director and organist, uh, Raymond White, who instilled in me um, a lot of great skills, and um, yeah, which I'm very grateful for. Was
0: there a direction set forth in your mind? You said, I want to be this?
1: Not really. I think, you know, I was pretty eclectic. I I loved all sorts of music. I was mostly operating in the classical realm, and I wasn't even too sure I was going to keep doing music after I left school. In fact, I came down here to Christchurch and started studying law, I think. And soon found that I didn't really enjoy that that much. Where did
0: that come from? Who was well, telling you that?
1: Well, probably the family. My, my dad had been a lawyer and his, his dad and probably familial sort of um, expect Well, I wouldn't say expectations, just kind of tradition really, because um, my dad probably was keener on being a musician than he was a lawyer. And he probably became a lawyer because, <laughs> though you know, there was so much expectation on those days. So... Um, but I thought I'd try that, but I very soon uh, went the music way when I got to Christchurch. there's was a great music department here, a fantastic music scene.
0: What sort of time period are we talking
1: about? Um, well, so this was um, early 80s. As we all know now, and reflect back, Christchurch was an incredibly rich musical scene. You know, there were multiple bands playing every night through the 80s. And then there were bands that had residencies five nights a week. And we were, I was discussing this with somebody the other night, maybe a dozen pubs would have had bands regularly. And it was an extraordinary scene. And as well as that, there was a, I mean, I guess more, I wasn't particularly involved in that area of music, but in the jazz scene, there uh, was a lot going on. And a lot of gigs, particularly at the the university, there was a good strong jazz club, which I guess was um, quite important to me. So uh, in terms of my influences, so I got to see a lot of the local jazz artists then and then started to play jazz more and more. I'd been playing jazz a little bit in Nelson on bass, but th- that was a way of meeting people. And also my brother Pete had a big band, which we used to play a lot of gigs, which was a lot of fun.
0: So was this how you were uh, making a regular steady income?
1: Well, I was studying at the time, so I was studying in a music degree. And I guess by the time I'd left university, I was I was kind of, yeah, I was working five or six nights a week as a as a bass player. So and doing other things, doing shows. I was very much involved with music at UC as well, so music theatre was another thing which I was, um, had some experience with, so that was another thing that I sort of did at that time. So we've got the classical influences, we've got jazz, we've
0: got music theatre. Any mm. um, uh, particular artists you feel have sort of
1: shaped the Tom Rainey sound yeah. or style? You know, I've mentioned Earth, Wind & Fire. I was very much into R&B and jazz, I mean, I'd been too lucky enough to go to London in 82, so I heard Cats and was exposed to, you know, Andrew Lloyd Webber, I suppose, was rearing his head at that time. A huge <laughs> influence on me and the, the, when I was at school was, interestingly, Joseph and in his Technicolor Dreamcoat, because, again, I hadn't really seen anything like that. And as kind of simple a musical that, as that is now, at the time, it had a had a huge impact. And I guess it was the amalgam of rock and and the story and probably corny these days, to admit it, but at that time, that was hugely impactful. To see London... Uh, to see Cats in London with the with the full on production uh, with some of those great stars had a huge impact on me, and I saw of course other shows at that time. So yeah, music theatre even it probably hasn't kept going with me that strongly. But at that time, I was writing shows um, at Musoc with uh, a number of other people collaborating. We wrote two or three shows over my time there, and uh, mounted them. And it was that was a that was a really great time. It was uh, really informative. And uh, yeah, I' really enjoyed that. but yeah, so other in terms of other artists, um, yeah, it's pretty eclectic. I mean there's a lot of jazz I was getting to a lot of jazz at that time. Um, I was in, went, I was in the National Youth Jazz Orchestra uh, in about 85. So I was starting to listen to a lot of um, weather report, um, whatever the particularly jazz rock at that time or the jazz fusion thing um, yeah, that, I was starting to consume that in in, in, in large amounts. It's time for some music,
0: uh, and I do ask about influences uh, at this point, and you have talked um, quite a bit, not only about music theatre, but, but jazz. Any particular artist uh, in the jazz realm that you could uh, offer us?
1: Yeah, well, I've, I've chosen a track uh, from Oscar Peterson, actually, and this track, um, I remember it strongly from my childhood. It had a really big impact. Oscar Peterson... Was a unique jazz pianist. He had a uh, certainly a very unique style that was unlike anybody else's. Based on prodigious talent, really, he could play anything, and this track exemplifies that. And in some ways, I guess what I've lifted from his style is the uh, block chord, block chording, which you hear in this track, which which basically means playing a chord up the scale with all the notes moving, which is quite a hard thing to do. And this piece starts with that, and um, but I, I love Oscar. He's he's a he's got a great swing sense. Uh, he's got amazing harmonies. I love his harmonic uh, style. And yeah, this 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 uh, track remains, um, yeah, just yeah, really pivotal to, to me in so many ways. <laughs>
0: This is the Garden of Sound interview with Tom Rainey on Planes FM 96.9. Uh, Tom, I want to talk about, I'm sure you've been to a few gigs in your life. Mm. Um, you said you led somewhat of a sheltered existence as, as a young person. So <laughs> tell me about the first gig that sort of gave you butterflies or you went,
1: wow. Mm. I mentioned Joseph and his technical Dreamcoat before and At a young age, that was but that was probably pivotal, actually, because it had an organ in it, which I thought was really cool—a pipe organ. But I do remember at a later age, um, my brothers were living in Wellington, and I went I, I quite regularly. Used to go and stay with them, and they took me along to see Roger Fox actually in a gig in Wellington, and that, yeah, that did it. <laughs> so this Roger Fox, Roger Fox, big, Roger Fox band. big band, yes, yeah, okay, and also the bass player in it, Rob Winch, who's now sadly passed away, became a huge influence I suppose I, I just thought that was amazing I'd, I'd, I'd loved the bass guitar from probably the age of 17 somebody had brought one home and I'd plugged it into the stereo and and I actually ended up playing um, uh, actually I think it was Joseph in his Technicolor Dreamcoat the, for a repertory in Nelson and that was my first gig really you know and I had to Borrow an amp and all that sort of thing it was, But it was it was great So I mean, yeah, I started to have a love with the bass, I guess And that kind of uh, set me up for playing a lot of bass in um, jazz in particular But rock and pop as well Over the next sort of 10 or 15 years And it was always electric bass
0: as opposed to upright?
1: Well, initially it was Although um, I'd played cello So mm. I, I sort of had a bit of experience of that And I could bow but it wasn't till probably the early 80s that I seriously took up the double bass. The double bass wasn't really a thing in jazz in the um, early 80s. Really? Well, not in New Zealand or Christchurch. It was mostly electric, and I guess it was that influence of of fusion and jazz rock. So uh, I did did get into it, but yeah, the bass is a wonderful instrument. It it, it leads you in so many directions. Bands always need bass players, and uh, good bass players are hard to find. So... That really became the basis of my music life, I suppose, despite the fact that I'd played a lot of keyboards and probably, in a lot of ways, was happier there. I mean, I like playing keyboards, and and that's now, these days, is where my preference lies. I don't play much bass at all. And, um, yeah, I got to play some some great gigs over the years. And um, as I mentioned to you before, I was uh, was in the Youth Jazz Orchestra of New Zealand for a couple of years, and we toured to Canada and... um, that was really formational for me educationally, because it really pushed me. that That was a very good band, all, it was over a couple of years. Um, it was yeah, very high quality and exposed me to a level of playing and also arranging and jazz that I just hadn't been part of before we recorded a couple of albums. So it really um it, it really put, threw me into the recording. um Vice, which for a musician is just a whole other thing that thing of, of, of being put under scrutiny of how you play in a recorded setting is, is something to learn which is very confronting and yeah, as opposed to just playing live as, 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 as I say, a whole other bag.
0: It sounds as if you've had somewhat of a, a, a charmed existence thus far oh, musically. Yeah.
1: I'm very lucky. What do you put it down to? Well, I think in New Zealand you've got to be really varied. I've never done anything particularly well. I've just kind of done a whole range of different things. And um, it's just allowed me to move from one thing to another. And really, for me, in a lot of ways, uh, I just haven't stopped. Um, probably mixed with it with um, not huge great ambition for myself. I've, I've been reasonably happy to follow the direction that music has taken me and when the phone rings um, to uh, move in that direction. That's changing a little bit more for me now, and I'm realising as I'm getting older, I need to, uh, you know, um, work out what some of my aspirations are and, and try and follow those. But no, I can't say there's been any huge times when I've gone. oh, I don't know what's going to happen now. Um, it's it's been it's been. I wouldn't say it's been smooth sailing. Um, I've had times when I haven't done much, and I moved to Sydney for a while, and musically that. Um was quite barren for me
0: why why sydney
1: well well i just I wanted to change the scene in my, my mid to late twenties, and so i I loved Sydney and I took off there and um with my new new partner at the time who's now my wife trish, and we um had a great time, but it was difficult to get in it was still unionized the music scene in Sydney in fact, Christchurch in New Zealand was somewhat unionized, and I'd taken a letter from the Christchurch union introducing me. And, of course, Australia is now still very unionised. I don't know so much in music, but you couldn't get a gig unless you had the union ticket in some circles, a lot of circles. And so when you got to Sydney, you put your name on a list and (laughs) once they got down to it, they'd give you a call. I remember I got that call about three months after I arrived and it was the night I was going to see Miles Davis at the Sydney Entertainment Centre. And I said, well, I can't do it. And I don't think I got another call. (laughs) <laughs> but as it happened um, we stayed there uh, uh, not that long, less than a year and um, we got a call to come back to Christchurch for various reasons and um, we, we took that path but that was probably the, uh, some of the quieter moments for me musically
0: How was that Miles Davis gig?
1: Oh it was great, you had Foley on bass Foley was, was doing a lot of the lead playing in those days on a, on a kind of a, a, a treble bass, a tenor bass I think they call them, which is a bass with high high tunings and Miles would sort of wander on and off and squeak a bit and then wander off stage and Foley would do a whole lot of stuff. and But that, again, was a very formational time for me because the, the basement in Sydney was going full full bore and we just went the whole time. We, I mean, even though I wasn't playing, I um, consumed an almost, enormous amount of music. And Sydney was fantastic musically. We saw a lot of music. And, uh, yeah, we would go literally two or three nights a week to the to the basement, which um, was the big uh, jazz club in Sydney at the time, and there was a tremendous amount of music and uh, some really amazing musicians, and uh, that was a really, really great time.
0: The Christchurch music scene at the moment, uh, is there enough going on? Are you seeing a bright future?
1: I wouldn't say I'm involved enough in it at the moment to really give a, a, a clear and concise view on that. But what has been proven, particularly with uh, bars like Fat Eddie's, is that if you put music on in a venue, people still love it. So, you know, we've talked about what it was like in the 80s here. And I I just think, in a lot of ways, bars and venues have have lost their uh, nerve a bit. And I think there's still the desire there. I don't think that's changed. People still are ready kindergarten here, here and see live music. And, yeah, I think Fat Eddie's... Has been a great example of that. And I, and I single them out because I can't think of anybody that's really doing it in that way, but they have music nearly every night and two or three bands for most of those nights, I think, at least two or three nights a week. And a lot of it based on jazz. Um, I think as Christchurch reforms itself, and and I, I was up at uh, the Craft Embassy the other night and I saw Lyndon Puffin doing a gig, which was great. Lyndon's still amazing. You know, he's such a great performer. And um, so there are little, little pockets of it happening. You know, I just think it's been hard because we just haven't had the venues. And having been involved with the Christchurch Jazz Festival and, and the CS over the years, it's oh, since the earthquakes, I know what some of those challenges have been. A- as more venues get established, hopefully the, the performing side will come back. There's certainly plenty of good musicians. And I still think there is the desire in the public to go out and see live music. So I've got hope for it i don't I don't think it w- will disappear for any particularly good reason I think the the natural laws of people wanting to hear good music uh, are still there and it will it will happen for the, for those reasons. That sounds positive, doesn't it mm. <laughs> possibly rose tinted yeah <laughs> okay, but I will remain there. I do ask at this point about a uh, favorite piece of music, which is such a
0: difficult question, especially when one such as you has such an eclectic taste. Anyone you, you
1: care to offer this point? Well, I, I just had to pick something. As you say, it's really hard to say. And I I tried to think of things that have made an impact on me. And I've chosen a track by Joni Mitchell, and the album's called Both Sides Now. And actually, the track is Both Sides Now. Um, I'm drawn to this song uh, because it's a beautiful song. I love Joni. Um, I love her writing. She, of course, worked with uh, in a... Really broad sense, you know. She was, I guess, a folk singer, but then she really had a major direction towards jazz and her gigs with Pat Metheny and Jaco Pistorius, and of course her partners Larry Klein for um, a period of time, and she worked with James Taylor, who's one of my favourite artists. So she's she she moved around, and um, this album she really tackles well some of her own music, but also the the jazz genre as well with orchestra. And um, this has now become a, a big part of, of my musical thing is, is, is working with orchestras to realise um, popular music forms, I suppose. And this isn't the epitome of, of that. And um, I mentioned Larry Klein. He was very much involved in this process. I think he produced the album. But this also features one of my favourite uh, arrangers, Vince Mendoza, who arranged and conducted this um, particular track, and um, I just think it's in a stunning track, it's a beautiful piece of music.
2: Rose and flows of angel hair and ice cream castles in the air and feather
3: canyons everywhere
2: Looked at clouds that way, but now they only block the sun. They rain and they snow on everyone. So many things I would have done, but clouds guard in my way. at clouds from
3: both sides now from up and down and still somehow it's
2: cloud illusions i recall i really don't know Moons and June's and fairy wheels, the dizzy dancing way that you feel as every fairy tale comes for you I've looked at love that way, but now it's just another show.
3: Somehow it's love's illusions that I recall I really don't know love I really don't know love at all
2: Feeling proud to say I love you right out loud. Dreams and
3: skills and circus crowds, I've looked at life that way. All but now, old friends,
2: they're acting
3: strange.
2: And they shake their heads and they tell me that I've changed Well, something's lost, but something's gained
3: In living every day I've looked at life from both sides now From win and lose and still
2: I, I really don't know life at all.
3: I I really don't know life, I really don't know life
0: This is the Garden of Sound interview with Tom Rainey on 96.9 Plains FM. Hey, I'm Max, singer and guitarist from Merlin Co. When you need some stellar photos to help sell your band or next gig, get in touch with Shannon Jessica. She's not just a great photographer, she froths local music. And that passion comes through full swing in all the work she does. This month, Shannon's offering a lovely introductory special, meaning your shoot could cost as little as $150. But these packages have got to be snatched up by the end of the month. So visit shannonjessica.com for a beaut portfolio from your next gig. That's shannonjessica.com. This is the Garden of Sound interview with Tom Rainey on Plains FM 96.9. Uh, we just heard um, a bit of Joni, not old school Joni, but more sort of 2000s Joni. Um, tell, me about, tell me about the arranging side of things tell me about perhaps a new project or somebody coming along to you and sort of going Tom we want to do this thing I mean how do you take something that exists perhaps as a pop song and
1: turning it into something that's well, a bit bigger <laughs> so I'd, I'd work with the CSO as a player really particularly a bass player and they were doing a lot of pop shows mostly kind of uh, doing pop songs with the orchestra so I guess it was early 2000s and um I kind of had a thought and approached the uh, then um, uh, conductor of the CSO, Mark today, with the thought of, well, why don't we why don't we look at actually New Zealand artists and put them with the orchestra? That really hadn't been done. I think Enzo had probably started about that same time, and I wasn't involved with that. So around about that time we, well particularly in two thousand and three, we approached Anika Maher, Beck Ranga and Julia Deans. And actually produced all separate shows by all those artists, I think, in that year. I think and Howard Morrison. It was it was a seminal time, really, for the orchestra and actually for that type of music because then that sort of seemed to, to move on with other orchestras and the CSO did a lot more with it over the years after that as well.
0: Were there no male solo artists around?
1: Um, well, very soon after that, we approached Dave Dobbin and... Um, and no younger male solo <laughs> artists. Um, I'm just thinking. Okay, Howard Morrison. Um. Well, Howard came up. I, like I can't remember how that that appeared, um, but we did that. But I, there was no there was no particular reason for the gender direction. It's just kind of uh, the people who said yes. I guess um, we worked with Golden Horse after that, and of course that again had, Kirsten yeah. Kirsten, and that had quite a strong uh, male. And then I I worked with uh, Salmonella Dub um after so anyway i mean there's been various ones but the i guess the first uh ones with anika and um beck and julia were were really interesting and uh formative because it was such a wide range of music you know you had julia's fur patrol some of that was quite hard hitting and i remember that particular show had a huge percussion rig because a a lot of that fur patrol music was quite up Um, Anika which is probably a bit more sort of R&B but great songs and uh, Beck, who uh, chose a really eclectic programme of her own songs plus a whole range of other music so it was new for Christchurch it got a mixed response Um, this was the early days of that and the critics were quite in, in some cases were quite tough on it in other cases really could see what the direction of that was what was exciting and uh, I guess leads into the next track we will hear is that uh, Beck was able to convince her manager and Sony to record the uh, her concert, and so we have we have a you know we have a recording of it which is great, and it was very well recorded. Um, Tell me a bit more about that. Oh well, the recording was yeah it was um, I mean always challenging recording a, a rhythm section in an orchestra, and Andre Upston was the engineer. For that, who at the time I think was working for Radio New Zealand, and has gone on to uh, record and produce a number of albums for Anika Ma and a whole range of New Zealand artists. Um, so his his skill and uh, experience were really pivotal in that process, and uh, we recorded it at live as it happened. And this is probably a bit of a. Uh, trade secret that hasn't come out till now but actually the in those days they were dealing with hard drive recorders and you'll understand what this means in but they were recording directly to to disc and they were dedicated machines but they were temperamental at the time it was just post ADAT and anyway 16 tracks failed (laughs) of 32 I think so they got half the orchestra but that wasn't enough so we actually had to re-record the whole session the next day um post the post the um, vocal event. vocals and all everything everything yeah and with, that, it, with an empty auditorium yes and with the um with the uh, uh the applause and everything um mixed in afterwards so nonetheless uh, I, I think the album still uh, stands up well and um, it was new for Beck it was new for the audience uh, Mark did a great job and and um, and on top of all that, I got to play bass in it, which was really awesome. So um, I was still playing quite a lot of bass in those days. And I was still kind of the CSO, CSO's bass player. So um, we had a run, wonderful rhythm section of Greg Donaldson on drums, Harry Harrison on guitar, and Hamish Oliver on keys. And um, those guys did a great job of interpreting Bic's songs and the other songs that she bought. And it was a challenging uh, creative process, too, from the point of view that Bic was actually living in Paris at the time. And she lived there for a I think a few years at that time, and so my interaction with her, and I didn't know her particularly well at the time, um, was largely by email, and I kind of just had to imagine these pieces how they would work out, and um, I don't know. It's it, it, that's kind of the way it, often these creative processes are. You've just got to go with something.
0: <laughs> what are um,
1: what are big strengths? Oh, big strengths are. Uh, are many. She's a, a fantastic singer. She's a wonderful creative. Um, she really knows what she wants, and what that's often a, a really unique sort of thing. And she really trusts her instincts. Um, she's a formidable musician, and she's a great producer. Um, I then subsequently went on to work with her on Birds, and and, and did the arranging for that, and working with her in Neil Finn, which was a was a great thrill. And, I mean, she would just sit down at Pro Tools and, and rip the thing up. You know, she would start editing as soon as things were there. And um, so she, she's got all that ability as well. So she's, she's the complete package, and um, she really is truly a New Zealand treasure. Shall we hear some music? So I've chosen um, a songwriter who has also been a really big impact on me as Burt Bacharach. In fact, I've done an orchestral show of Burt's music. I mean, Bert's so pivotal in the development of pop really before Burt came along there were no straight feels in pop music. Everything okay. was a shuffle. And it was Bert's influence, actually, I believe, in, in being in South America with Marlene and Dietrich. And I think he brought back you know, brought back to America the um the straight feel, you know, the chuk, chuk, um, chuk, chuk, um, chuk, um, from the Bossa Novas and things like that. But if you think about it prior to the nineteen fifties there wasn't a lot of straight feels in pop music. Everything was, you know, the, the rock and roll and that sort of thing. So, I mean, that's just one reason. And Bert, of course, he I mean, he started writing in the early 50s and is still writing now. If he's not, he was writing up to recently. He had an incredible span of nearly 70 years in popular music. So... And a lot of that through the 60s when he really had his heydays was really, his music was attached to the social things that were going on at the time, the, the uh, Vietnam War, uh, sexual liberation, a whole lot of things at, at, at that time. So yeah, he's been a big impact on me. And, and apart from that, harmonically and uh, musically, he's uh, he's really been a, a real trailblazer. And a great example of that is, is the song which... Um, I can't whether, remember whether Bick or I decided it was a good idea to do anyone who had a heart, but it's one of Bert's more challenging songs because in this particular tune, he does what he did a few times, which is really mess with the meter. So he goes from 6 8 to 4 4 back and again, and then he will throw a 3 8 bar. And so it's unsettling for the listener, but. I guess he's doing it to go with a lyric i mean it's a tough lyric this it's it's uh it's got a lot of pathos in it so um we had a go at this and i think um i think uh what beck does with it is, is really stunning
2: Take
0: This is the Garden of Sound review with Tom Rainey on Planes FM ninety six point nine. Uh, working with Bick, uh, working with a CSO, uh, seeing amazing things, writing amazing things, plenty of amazing people. Is there a is is there a pinnacle, a peak, a most rewarding project, or something you really look back at fondly?
1: Well, I've been I've been really lucky to be have a parallel career in education and uh, being involved. With, with the set-up and start-up of the jazz school here in Christchurch in, um, and started in 91 and um, working through that. And I, I love education. And I love teaching and I love um, helping young people to find a way and a pathway into music. So um, I, get, I guess over, my, over the last few years that has been a highlight for me. Um, I'm, I'm tremendously proud of that. And... Um, Yeah, it's it's a long highlight. (laughs) Um, You know, it's 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 an enduring one. uh, But yeah, it's I I think it's it is a bit of a um, it's a very valuable thing for the city. And we were talking about the live music scene, and I think the level of music in Christchurch has changed because of 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 education. Yeah, and it's not just there, but the the young people coming out of any music education facility. I think, you know, you give them more experiences and more opportunities to play together and and a bit more training and then the the level moves up. And I think even, I mean, going back to music theatre and I see the music theatre that's now being tackled in Christchurch in the bands and a lot of the uh, kids in there come through places like jazz school, you know, their ability to read and be directed and perform in, in an in advanced style, which a lot of this music requires you know, huge huge experience and skills, um, I just think it has moved. I, th- I think this, the skill level has moved. Musically, otherwise, for me, no, I, I don't think there are any particular highlights. So I, 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 I try not to dwell too long on things and just keep, I, I more look at the things that are coming up, really. I've, I've still got tremendous plans. I think the great thing about music is and being involved with is, is you've always got hope because you've always got the next thing
0: give me a give me a couple of the aspirations well I the, can't, the let, I can't
1: let too much out of the bag okay. at the moment. <laughs> give us a hint and then we'll we'll fill in the blanks <laughs> um, well yeah I mean for me at the moment um, I'm having a bit of a transition away from education into more full uh, more, more, more focus on my musical career so a lot of those plans are sort of um, Uh, I guess are forming and will form over the next year but I I want to do more composition Um, I've got some uh, exciting shows coming up next year one being uh, a show which is called Otatahi Proud which is um, happening I think the night before the Silver Scrolls in Christchurch next year which is going to be CSO with um, a selection of Christchurch artists with the orchestra Amazing So that's going to be a a fantastic project which I'm really looking forward to realising um, with Gretchen LaRoche at the CSO, and Hamish Oliver um, will be arranging as well on that, amongst others. And uh, so that will give us a chance. We are hoping to celebrate what is, you know, widely re- recognised New Zealand as something in terms of Christchurch music, because there have been so many great great artists that have come out of the city. So we really hope to be able to celebrate that. So that's September next year. Um, There'll be other projects uh, between now and then, and uh, hopefully a bit more composition. Certainly arranging, I know, and uh, looking forward to more production work. So yeah, I, I just think you've just got to stay open and and keep working at it. And um, there's lots of lots of things to uh, out there that you can realise.
0: We've reached the end of our interview. I want a track to take us out with. Anything a
1: little. Uh... A little interesting or exciting. Yeah, well, I've I've chosen um, a track by the Metropole Orchestra, which is a, a a musical outfit in the Netherlands, which has been going really probably since the '30s, and it's it's state funded, which is interesting. Um, but it, it's it's kind of a, like a jazz orchestra, really. It's strings and a big band and a few other assorted woodwind. And they've um, done some amazing projects over the, over the last few years, worked with Snarky Puppy and Gregory Porter and Chaka Khan and, and a whole range of different artists. And they're well worth checking out on um, YouTube if, if the listeners get a chance. Um, I haven't heard them live, although I've just recently been in the Netherlands and my son Jimmy, who's been studying jazz saxophone in Amsterdam, with the Young Metropole Orchestra, which is like their youth version, which was amazing. And they, I got to catch three, catch three gigs with them. Um, anyway, the Metropole Orchestra was directed by Vince Mendoza, who we've already heard today arranging um, both sides now. And Vince, I guess, is somebody I really aspire to. He's an amazing conductor and arranger. And this last track is one of his compositions. It's got lots of Latin influences in, in it. And some of the musicians are from the um, Metropole Orchestra, but there was also John Scofield on there, and a bunch of other American musicians. Um, so I guess I um, I like Vince's style. He he composes in lots of different styles. Um, this has also got one of my favourite jazz organists on it, Larry Goldings, and that's something else I'm really into is playing jazz Hammond organ. So I guess this just kind of was a bit of an amalgam of things, really. Um, but I think it's got a it's got a great feel. It's really unique music. And um, hopefully, people enjoy it. Thanks for being on the show. Thank you very much. I don't know, it was just a whole lot of something.
0: That was a tono from Vince Mendoza's 2011 album, Nights on Earth. You can find pretty much all of the tracks that Tom and I talked about today on a Spotify playlist created especially for this show. Just head to gardenofsound.nz and click on Tom's picture on the front page. Remember, you can also enter the draw to win a two-day camping pass for two to Rhythm and Alps, worth almost $500 from the Garden of Sound homepage. You do have to be over 18 to enter, though. Thank you so much for being here today. This has been Garden of Sound. Until next week, keep well, keep listening, and keep playing. Haere ra.